Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's Wednesday, November 9th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga. Paul Hoynes is off for the rest of the week, so it's just you and me uh, running down some of the latest Guardians headlines and Major League Baseball news. Uh, we'll get into some uh, submitted questions from our subtext subscribers, and uh, that'll be a little bit later on. Uh, first, we can go through the big news of the day, which is Jose Ramirez, the Guardians' Uh, all-star third baseman and uh, just all-around MVP uh, for the team, uh, underwent successful surgery on uh, Wednesday morning uh, down in Dayton. Dr. Thomas Graham performed the surgery to repair a torn ulnar collateral uh, ligament in uh, Ramirez's right hand. Uh, It had been bothering him since around June and really affected the way he played in the second half of the season. Uh, Ramirez will be uh, sidelined six to eight weeks uh, from baseball activity and then can begin his uh, recovery and return to uh, return to play. Uh, it means that he will likely miss the uh, 2023 World Baseball Classic in which he had expressed interest uh, to play for his native Dominican Republic. However, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the Guardian's probably not uh, all that upset about Ramirez not being available for the WBC, uh, he will be, uh, by all accounts, available and ready to go for spring training uh, in February when position players have to report. Uh, it, it's, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, a, a bit of a recovery here, but he should be back to the, the same old Jose Ramirez that he was, certainly in the, uh, in the first half of the year, the way that he hit the ball, uh, before he injured himself, was uh, you know was MVP caliber, MVP level play, uh, and for him to have gone through uh, you know the pain that he had to, to play through for the remainder of the season and still put up the kind of numbers that he did, you know, two eighty six, uh, twenty nine home runs, just the all around contribution to the offense and the way he carried this club at times was pretty remarkable. Terry Francona at the end of the season commenting on just how tough uh, a guy that. Uh, Ramirez turns out to be, uh, and and we all know uh, what kind of player he is and how how badly he wants to be out there. Uh, I thought the uh, the story that he told uh, to the reporters uh, that that Tito told to the reporters about that uh, series that they had out in L.A. where 
Uh, Ramirez, you know, missed a couple of games and uh, he came in and after the doctors had gotten the results of the uh, the MRI and said that he couldn't injure himself any further if he played with the injury, uh, you know, Ramirez says, not only am I, he comes into the office, he says, not only am I not, uh, you know, having the surgery uh, and ending my season, but uh, I'm, I'm in the lineup tomorrow and you're putting me in there. And, and Tito was obviously impressed by that and, uh, you know, just continues to, to think the world of Jose Ramirez. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that, that's where the, the guardians all-star third baseman is right now. After undergoing surgery, he posted a couple of photos to, uh, Instagram today of, of him pre and post surgery. Uh, still, still looks like a tough guy. Uh, even with the, uh, the hospital gown on, uh, laying in the bed there and his arm in a sling and everything. So, uh, best wishes to Jose Ramirez for a speedy recovery. Uh, the Guardians also announced that they have traded uh, one of their prospects, 23-year-old uh, Jose Fermin, a shortstop infield prospect, traded to St. Louis for cash considerations. Uh, he's been with the organization six, seven years. Uh, last year, he hit 215, and uh, for his career in the minors, he's a 259 hitter, uh, 2019 organizational all-star. Uh, with Lake County, but obviously, you know, Jose Fermin uh, probably didn't have uh, much of a path to the big leagues here in Cleveland as a shortstop with with so many, uh, you know, top infield prospects maybe ahead of him. Uh, so maybe this is a chance for him to to get a start there in St. Louis and, and find a way to the big leagues that way. Uh, so, you know, there's there's still... You know, even even without Jose Fermin, there are still uh, there is still a preponderance of infield prospects, shortstop prospects uh, for this organization, and uh, how they're all going to get to the big leagues, or if they all get to the big leagues with Cleveland, uh, it would be uh, a pretty impressive, or actually, it'd be kind of scary if they all had to come up with Cleveland at once, because that would mean something really is going on wrong, uh, maybe injuries or something uh, happening. Uh, uh, I think the guys that are up right now are are pretty much solidified. You've got, you know, three to four shortstops already up with the big league club in Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, uh, Gabriel Arias, and Tyler Freeman. Uh, so you're looking to, to see how many of those guys will work out uh, this upcoming season. And you've got, uh, you know, Brian Rocchio, Jose Tena, all all guys that uh, could come afterwards. So uh, all very close. Uh, Tanya actually down in the, I believe, Dominican uh, Winter League is is starting to heat up and, and hit the ball well, along with uh, George Valera, an outfield prospect who uh, had a big hit last night uh, in the Dominican. So uh, it'd be interesting to watch and, and see how these prospects filter up uh, over the next year or two, uh, guys that are already on the 40-man roster and uh, have to be here at some point. As far as news out of the Major League Baseball uh, general managers meetings, which are going on right now in Las Vegas. Chris Antonetti was named the MLB Executive of the Year. It's the second top executive award that uh, Antonetti has won this offseason. He was uh, named Executive of the Year by the Sporting News uh, late last month. So uh, this, this award voted by uh, the 29 other top executives in the in the major leagues uh, they recognized Antonetti as the 
uh, basically the guy who arch- uh, the architect of the guy who orchestrated this uh, this plan for the Guardians to to play, you know, to have seventeen kids make their major league debut this year and uh, to play small ball and to use pitching and defense and and base running to uh, turn that into a uh, uh, a division championship, uh, an AL Central crown, and a, a trip to the postseason for the first time. Uh, since uh, not just a trip to the postseason, but a a division championship for the first time since 2018. So Antonetti recognized with another award there. Uh, Jose Ramirez is a finalist uh, for the Hank Aaron Award that will be announced tonight. That recognizes the top uh, hitter in each league. Uh, Aaron Judge will win this award for the American League. Jose, uh, you know, just seems to always run into some of these juggernaut uh, candidates for the awards in terms of, um, you know, MVP and, and uh, the hitting awards. But uh, the, uh, the, um, the Hank Aaron Award, prestigious award, obviously, uh, to be nominated even uh, from your team is, is, is recognition that you're the top hitter on the club. And, uh, you know, really the, the season the judge had, I don't think anybody can deny that he deserves – every uh, award in terms of most valuable and, um, you know, any hitting awards. So uh, Ramirez, obviously an honor to be nominated, but uh, will will not win that award. Uh, it'll go to judge. Uh, and speaking of finalists, uh, Terry Francona and Stephen Kwan, both finalists for BBWAA awards, the Baseball Writers Association of America, uh, getting ready to hand out its uh, end of the season awards. Uh, the finalists were announced Monday, and those awards will be rolled out uh, one per day beginning Monday of next week. Starting with the Rookie of the Year award, Stephen Kwan, uh, a finalist, along with Adley Rutschman, the catcher from Baltimore, and Julio Rodriguez, the center fielder from Seattle. Uh, Rodriguez, uh, the odds on favorite to win the award. Uh, I think um, I think with the top three finalists being announced, I think uh, it's it's pretty obvious that Quan is the, the the number three guy out of that group in terms of the, of what the voting went. Uh, but you know, any other any other year, you're not going up against a guy like Rodriguez. I think Quan would have a, a really strong case just based on his numbers and his defense. Uh, you know, his defense is is second to nobody in baseball right now. Uh, in terms of the metrics that are out there, uh, and it, it just I, I don't think you give the rookie of the year award based on a contract like the one that uh, that Rodriguez got. But obviously, the, the the reason that he got a contract like that is because Seattle recognizes how how valuable a player he is and how good a player he is, and what just how much of a superstar he's is in the making. Uh, I think Rodriguez wins the award going away. Uh, with with very little uh, you know question there, maybe even a unanimous vote, uh, but Quan uh, definitely up there and definitely deserving of some consideration. Uh, my I'm surprised uh, Rutschman is in there. Uh, you know Bobby Wood Jr. had a great season was um, was up pretty much the the whole season with uh, with Kansas City, but Jeremy Pena. Uh, you know if they gave awards for Rookie of the Year. Based on voting after the end of the regular season, I think Jeremy Pena would be hands down uh, the only choice uh, for Rookie of the Year uh, based on what he did 
in the playoffs and World Series. Uh, however, uh, they the the votes for those awards are turned in before the end of the regular season, and you know Jeremy Pena wasn't as consistent during the regular season. Certainly wasn't as consistent as Stephen Kwan was. Uh, Kwan, uh, you know, in in terms of just the regular, if you look at just their regular seasons, uh, Kwan wins that going away. Uh, Francona, as far as I can tell, uh, is going to be up against uh, you know his his toughest competition for the award for manager of the year is uh, is a, kind of in a sentimental way Brandon Hyde from Baltimore. I think uh, a lot of folks are giving Brandon Hyde a lot more credit than maybe he's due for making the Orioles competitive. Uh, if you look at what Terry Francona had to put up with. Uh, this season and had to navigate this season in order to get his team to 92 wins and a, a win in the playoffs. Uh, I think it's it's pretty obvious that that Francona is the winner of this award. Uh, but other other media, other reporters, the voters on this award uh, feeling sentimental because of the way that you know maybe maybe Francona is being penalized here because of the consistency uh, and his ability to win prior to this. Whereas Hyde is seen as sort of rescuing uh, Baltimore and, and turning their fortunes around uh, after being a you know pretty much a doormat for for several years in the American League East, making them competitive with a very young club themselves. Uh, certainly, still not as young as the Guardians were, and certainly uh, not uh, w- without the the power profile that the the Guardians lacked uh, and and had to win in different ways. Uh, I think the job that Francona did this year, all things considered, uh, makes him deserving of the award over Hyde. However, I think Hyde is going to get the award uh, just based on maybe a, a sentimental vote from a lot of folks, you know, who who don't who who aren't really. It, Manager of the Year is sort of one of those awards uh, out of the the four BBWA awards. That's the one that you can sort of vote with your heart a little bit more than you can. Uh, with your with facts and and with numbers and statistics, and if if you vote for uh, one manager in back to back years, maybe you don't want to, uh, you know, maybe he might be deserving, but you you don't want to vote for him twice with your your number one vote. So uh, I, I think it's going to be hard for Francona to win the award, but who knows? He might surprise us and and come away with his third manager of the year award. He's won three, twenty thirteen, twenty seventeen. Uh, with Cleveland. Uh, it's hard to believe he never won the Manager of the Year award when he was in Boston, but uh, this would be his third if he is able to take it home uh, here in Cleveland. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, and you know that's. It just speaks to the level of consistency and the you know just how good of a manager and how good of a, um, you know baseball guy Terry Francona is. He's 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 just really good at his job, and that's winning baseball games, and he knows how to do it. Uh, and he knows how to do it in a variety of ways now with, uh, you know, with veteran teams and with, with young rookie teams, uh, as he's proven. Uh, speaking of finalists, uh, Albert Bell, uh, former 
Cleveland Slugger and, uh, you know, just one of the, the, the dominant forces of those uh, early to mid-90s uh, uh, Indians clubs that, that were in the playoffs consistently, uh, some of the dominant teams there. Uh, certainly the 95 team uh, and that 95 season that, that Bell had uh, were uh, pretty incredible. Uh, Albert Bell, a finalist for the Hall of Fame on the Modern Baseball Era Committee. Uh, you know, good player, uh, maybe not, maybe doesn't have the consistency over a, a six-year stretch like um, like a lot of guys do, but the longevity, he was, after he left Cleveland, he was hurt a lot. He, uh, he didn't play as consistently in Baltimore or Chicago or wherever he went, uh, but uh, certainly worthy of consideration. Uh, if, if I were on the era committee, uh, you know, maybe they, maybe those guys look at different things as opposed to, um, you know, uh, longevity or, you know, his ability, it, what he did when he left Cleveland. If you look at what only he did in Cleveland, I think he's, he's very much worthy of consideration. Uh, I still don't think I would vote to get him in, not just, uh, you know, because of any personality or, or because of, uh, you know, conflicts with the media or even, uh, just, the the way that he left Cleveland being uh, just sort of a you know a little distasteful, but I, I think uh, you know there there is character there are character issues there. It's this is a guy who's uh, since he's been away from baseball he's he's had uh, he's been arrested a few times and there's uh, and certainly the the Hall of Fame doesn't exclude players based on whether or not they've been arrested, but uh, you know I, I think at, at this point in time. Uh, if you're picking a guy, it, it's got to you, you've got to be you've got to make a case for it. You've got to be a, a you know a good guy just besides a good baseball player. Uh, what's gonna what's gonna hurt Albert is he's on the ballot with uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Rafael Palmero, all known steroid abusers, uh, and and this is you know they were just they just fell off Bonds and Clemens just fell off the ballot uh, from the the regular, uh, you know, popular vote among the, the BBWAA writers. Uh, it, I don't think either of them get in on the committee vote this year, this first time. I think maybe they have to wait a few years. Uh, maybe there's consideration for them later on down the line. But um, it's it, it, it'll be interesting to see if anybody else in that group suffers. Don Mattingly is in there uh, among those eight finalists. So uh, there are guys who who deserve consideration, who didn't have, uh, the steroid, you know, issues. Uh, these were guys, Bonds and, and Clemens who, who muddled Kenny Lofton's first, uh, availability on the ballot. And, and he fell off, uh, you know, very, very soon because they were on the, the ballot the first year, the same year he was, uh, Lofton, you know, is, is going to try, you know, in eventually to, to make it on in one of these error committees, uh, and, and certainly a deserving candidate there as well. And we can talk about that on another podcast later on down the line. So we got into um, some reader uh, submitted questions and uh, comments. Uh, we asked our readers about, uh, you know, just every time we post news there, they're able to reply to us on subtext. Uh, here's a comment on the uh, the Jose Fermin trade, actually, uh, from a, a subscriber in Bakersfield, California. Uh, he points out that uh, the last Fermin deal worked out pretty well uh, for Cleveland, and I would say yes. Uh, 
That's referring to Felix Fermin uh, traded to Seattle in 1994 for Omar Vizquel. Uh, Vizquel obviously goes on to uh, you know a great career with the the Indians and and wins a whole bunch of Gold Gloves and uh, then had his issues in terms of character and now is is in danger of falling off the Hall of Fame ballot as well. So uh, yeah, the last Fermin deal worked out pretty well. Um, what we're, uh, we're looking at here, uh, a, a very interesting, uh, point was brought up though, when I was researching a little bit on the Fermin, uh, trade, uh, back in, uh, 1996, after Fermin had played a year with, uh, Seattle, um, he was almost traded to the Yankees for Mariano Rivera, uh, because they, uh, they were starting Derek Jeter in 1996 as their rookie shortstop. And George Steinbrenner wasn't very convinced that uh, Jeter could play and, and sort of endure the rigors of, uh, of the season as a rookie. So they wanted to bring in a veteran like Felix Fermin to play shortstop. Uh, they were going to trade Mariano Rivera for um, uh, Felix Fermin in New York. And uh, that would have sent Rivera to Seattle and probably would have derailed a, uh, a Hall of Fame career uh, before it even got started if... Uh, you know, Rivera had, had been in Seattle at that point. Um, or who knows, maybe he would have turned around the, uh, the Mariners and, and got them over the hump, uh, in, uh, in the mid to late nineties as well. Uh, so very interesting, uh, just a tidbit that, that Mariano Rivera could have nearly been a, a Seattle Mariner if it weren't for Brian Cashman stepping in and basically going to bat for, uh, for Derek Jeter at that point. Uh, we asked, uh, subscribers about uh, free agents out there on the market as free agency is getting ready to heat up. Uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania uh, subscriber submitted uh, that he thinks Mitch Hanniger would look good in uh, in Cleveland. Obviously, uh, Seattle outfielder Mitch Hanniger uh, had some injury issues the last couple of years, uh, played just 57 games last year, always seems to be hurt one way or another. Um, he hit... 246 with 11 home runs and 34 RBIs in those 57 games. Uh, he's projected to, to get fewer than 400 at bats next year, uh, but he's a right-handed stick. He's got uh, he's got good power. Always seems to hit the Guardians uh, pretty well when he faces them. Uh, so so who knows if, uh, if if he's out there looking for uh, a couple of years on a deal uh, that would be affordable to the club? You know maybe they engage with him. We asked uh, about uh, the Guardians' own free agent, uh, Austin Hedges, and the likelihood that they could be looking to bring him back on a team-friendly contract. Uh, this submitter, uh, this uh, uh, reader from uh, the Columbus area submits, uh, he's not sure about Hedges, not sure how I feel about it. Uh, I love Hedgie, but I don't think the Guardians can afford to keep a catcher who doesn't offer minimal offense. Uh, and, and that's true, you know, uh, Hedges did not provide uh, a lot of offense, neither did Luke Maley, but they did uh, work the pitching staff really well. Uh, that's what they're known for defensively. I think Hedges is one of the better defensive catchers in all of baseball, and nobody preps for a, a game or a series or an opponent uh, as, as good as, as Hedges does. Uh, I think there's something to be said for, for that and, and the consistency that he brought uh, for these pitchers, 
and and they might bring him back. Who knows if uh, if all sides are amenable? Uh, certainly wouldn't want to see, if 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 he can get a better deal somewhere, and 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 another team is willing to pay for it, uh, pay him for it. You know, I, I think he should definitely go. But uh, you know, the, would not be surprised to see Hedges back uh, in Cleveland if that's if, if both sides are are agreeable to it. Uh, finally, uh, some reader submitted uh, his comment on uh, just the the state of what the the Guardians can do this offseason in terms of trades, uh, and his belief is this on uh, on Shane Bieber. He says, "quote Bieber will never be worth more in a trade than he is now. A bidding war by the National League playoff teams for Bieber that returns a good catcher that can hit a right-handed power bat at DH or first baseman." or a good young pitcher would go a long way in addressing the team's biggest needs. Cleveland has a great record for trading our top pitchers at the right time. Is this the time to trade Bieber now? Uh, and that's from John in Westfield Center, Ohio. Uh, and and I got to agree with you, John. I, I think uh, this offseason is the perfect time to get as much as you possibly can uh, for Shane Bieber. Uh, I thought that when Corey Kluber was a year ahead, of, or two years out of his deal, um, at the end of his contract, and, and they tried to trade him to uh, the Dodgers. They tried to trade him all over the place, uh, couldn't work a deal, and they wound up um, holding on to him for a year, and then he got injured, and then they traded him for uh, Emmanuel Classe and Delano DeShields. Uh, and at the time, no one thought you got enough back uh, in return for him. So, again, you, you risk, uh, you know, Bieber going out and having a down year, Bieber going out and getting injured and not being being as productive. Uh, I think, you know, right now is the ideal time to trade him just because you can get the most for him right now. Uh, but you've got to find a partner. You've got to find a trade partner willing to, that that has what you're looking for. And, and you laid it all out right there. Uh, you know, a, a good catcher that can hit, uh, a right-handed power bat that can play first base or DH, uh, maybe a good young pitcher to replace him in the in the rotation. All of those things are, are needs that the Guardians have, and, you know, their their biggest leverage, their biggest bargaining chip right now is Shane Bieber because everybody knows that, you know, once Shane Bieber reaches free agency, there's, there is zero chance that the Guardians are going to re-sign him. And if he hasn't taken a deal, if he hasn't uh, talked, been willing to talk extension with the club, over these last several years, uh, when when it's prime time for him to do so, he uh, he's pretty much stated where where his intense in, intentions lie. Uh, you know, you're not going to have him uh, pitching in Cleveland uh, certainly beyond next season. So, uh, yeah, right now is the time to strike in terms of a, a Beaver trade, and and who knows with the GM meetings going on now, with the um, uh, with the winter meetings coming up in the first week of December. Uh, you're looking at the possibility that uh, the groundwork is already being laid with someone for a Shane Bieber uh, Guardians trade. All right, that's going to wrap up uh, today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'll be back with you on Friday uh, to talk more uh, about free agency and what's going on at the GM meetings and uh, the latest here uh, uh, with the Guardians. <laughs>